0: There's the Chuck voice I listen to in bed every night. Hey
1: everybody and welcome to episode 51 of the iFree Show. This week on our panel we have Ben Sherman. Hello from Houston. Pete Hodgson. Hello from pleasantly temperate San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Charles Maxwood
2: from devchat.tv. And this week we have a special guest, and that is Jim Rutherford. Hi, Jim Rutherford from beautiful Nanaimo, British Columbia, Canada.
1: Ooh, we got a Canadian on. This is already going to be such a a kinder (laughs) and uh, more maple syrupy, polite. Yeah, we need we need some more maple leaves down here.
2: Anyway, you want to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a a freelance iOS developer. I do projects um, for really anybody anywhere around the world who's uh, looking for some iOS development help. And uh, I've been doing development for many, many, many years, and uh, it's the greatest job in the world and something I I like to share with my son, which I believe is uh, what we'll be talking about today.
1: Yeah, I'm a little curious. The topic actually says teaching kids iOS programming. Have you actually taught kids to write iOS apps?
2: You know, my son and I have sat down and we sort of worked our way through a couple of, you know, fairly simple iOS apps. I haven't specifically taught him how to code in Objective-C. We've done a lot of projects that, you know, use uh, uh, lots of different types of technologies. We've done a little bit of Flash. We've done a little bit of Scratch. We've done a little bit of Minecraft modding. But really the way we tend to do it is, you know, he might come up with an idea and, you know, we'll sit down together and come up with some ideas and take a look at how he might want to try to do that. He is a 10-year-old, so... um, uh, you know, from that standpoint, uh, you know, his attention span is not, you know, it's not quite up where, you know, you need to sort of be, you know, spending five, six, seven hours in front of the computer screen, you know, cracking out code. So we try to break it down into small little chunks and produce something that's fun and that he can show his friends or uh, we can just have fun with spend time together, really. Yeah, that's really cool. I have five kids and I've tried one by one to try
3: and get them all into programming. Not because they have to do what I want to do, but I feel like it's a, it's a good living and it allows you to be creative and solve problems and you looking at the landscape out there for the potential careers. I don't know. I think, you know, I would just like them to have this opportunity. So far they haven't been super interested in it, but I don't know. It's all about just exposing, you know, the kids to. The opportunities to learn and finding out what interests them, right?
2: Exactly. I think, you know, uh, there's so many opportunities for kids out there, you know, whether they want to become a professional soccer player or a professional dancer or, you know, who knows what they'll become interested in over their, over their lifetime. But yeah, just really exposing them to uh, the different sorts of things. And, you know, what I know is, is programming. So, you know, certainly that's, uh, you know, something I enjoy sharing with my, with my son. And I know something he's very interested in as well. I mean, I, I think ever since he's been about six years old, he wants to be a, he wants to be involved in game development. At one point he wanted to be a game tester, which I thought, oh, that's a pretty cool, uh, career. Um, but you know, who knows where he'll end up, uh, you know, who he'll meet along the way and, and, and what will inspire him. So, um, yeah, it's just, uh, I see it as a, as a step on the journey towards, uh, a, a, a happy and productive career.
1: Yeah. Well, the other thing that, I find interesting about teaching kids to program is that more and more fields out there are becoming computer dependent. And so even if they're not writing the code that does whatever it is that the industry needs, they're still going to need to use the computer and that kind of familiarity really helps.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, uh, you know, a fairly um, popular term that's bandied about quite a bit right now is uh, digital literacy. And uh, I think probably the best way I've seen it explained is, you know, in schools, you know, kids learn how how to, you know, read and write. Now, not very many kids are going to end up writing, you know, the next Pulitzer Prize winning novel, but they certainly need to be literate. They need to know how to read and write. And I think with digital literacy, it's a very similar thing. I think they need to learn how to, you know, how to read and write code. Whether or not they ever become a professional programmer is a different story, you know, but certainly whether it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, creating a macro in, you know, whatever work processor they'll be using in the future or, you know, customizing their work environment through some sort of scripting, you know, I think that basic literacy can go a long way to uh, um, augmenting, you know, the skills that they have in whatever career they choose. Yeah. I mean. Just learning how to type properly
3: can go a long way to that. You know, uh, you know, my kids can type like a hundred words a minute on their iPhones, but when they get to a computer, it's considerably slower just because they don't spend as much time in front of the computer as they do in front of their mobile devices, right? And considering that when they get into the workforce, likely a considerable portion of their career is going to be spent sitting in front of a computer, you know, for all types of jobs. And I think, like you're saying, just general computer literacy is good being able to whip things up in Excel just because you know, you're not afraid of it or, um, be, you know, being able to type quickly so you can get things done. Um, I think definitely is really important. I think, you know, taking a keyboarding class in middle school was hugely important for me, although mine was on a typewriter, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know it's, it was definitely helpful for my career.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I totally agree. I, I think keyboarding is a is a tremendously important skill and you know, my son has been taking keyboarding I believe since he was in grade four, you know, whether I think it's like Mavis speaking tutor thing they have set up in the computer lab and um you know, he's a fantastic little touch type keyboarder.
1: <laughs> so how do you get kids into programming? I mean you talked about squeak and some of the other things. What seems to be the thing that they latch onto the most?
2: Well, you know, I I can really only talk about my son. I've I've got one boy, and sort of what goes farthest with him is if we're working on something that he is personally invested in. And I I think we probably all... Like, you know, for example, when I was learning Objective-C, you know, I started by reading some books and whatever, but at the end of the day, for me to really learn it, I needed to, to build something that I wanted to use. So typically with my son, what we've done is, you know, we've worked on, on little projects that, uh, sort of evolve around what he's interested in. So, you know, a couple of years ago, he was, uh, totally obsessed with Minecraft. So, you know, we did a couple of projects around, around Minecraft. Um, you know, we made a very simple little Minecraft mod. We, um, downloaded Eclipse, sadly, and, uh, <laughs> oh, and, and, uh, and a product called Minecraft Coder Pack, which is a, I guess, a package of Java files that make it really, really easy for you to create your own Minecraft mod. Um, so it exposes pretty much everything in the game that can be, that can be customized. And, you know, I mean, we created a very simple block. Um, and we called it Rutherfordium, and, uh, it's the most hardest, most, um, incredible, Element in all of Minecraft, it never decays. So you know, once you have a sword of rutherfordium, you're virtually invincible. and <laughs> You know, and, and you know, it's just a, a very simple little mod. um It probably took us about an hour. Uh, I don't have a lot of Java experience, but it was pretty simple to uh to get this block set up. And you know, and then you just sort of go through and you, you know, uh, it, it's a it's a really great environment because you can kind of talk about objects. You know, so here's our block and it's represented by this, you know, Rutherfordium.class file. And, uh, you know, you you go and you, there's a constructor class or there's a constructor method. Um, and then you set a bunch of properties. And then you can go in and you can, um, you know, set global properties in terms of, you know, how deep you have to dig to gather that block, you know, how rare it is. And yeah, and then, uh, and then you 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 run my, you load up Minecraft and you're in your world, um, modifying it. Also gave us me you know, an opportunity to, um, to show him a little bit of, uh, I'm a big fireworks fan, uh, Adobe fireworks fan. So I, I taught him using fireworks. That's my tool of choice. Um, but you certainly could have used, uh, Photoshop or, uh, or, uh, you know, really any other graphic program. And, and he went and he actually designed the block. Um, so, you know, using, using pixel art. And yeah, and we had our own little Minecraft mod and, uh, you know, it was a sort of a fun little, it was probably about two hours in total to get it going. And, you know, just a really, just an opportunity for us to sit next to each other and to me to explain a little bit of code, him to do a little bit of graphic design. And, uh, then we had something that he was just tickled pink that he was able to use this with inside the, uh, the Minecraft world.
3: One of the difficulties that I had, it's pretty easy to get young kids excited about games, right? Uh, creating games, you know, maybe putting artwork that they create in the game or whatever, or just saying, okay, tell me what kind of game you want to make and we'll try and make it together. And in doing that, what happened to me was that the feedback cycle was way too long. You know, for instance, uh, I wanted to, my son, when he was in elementary school, my oldest son, he wanted to do a planet project and most of the kids would do like a papier-mâché planet and they'd paint it or whatever. Uh, We decided to do it in Uh, in 3d on the computer uh, where you could just sort of like click and and drag around and my 3d is pretty rusty because i don't do it all the time so this was uh in DirectX or direct 3d i did this and i eventually got it working man it was like a few hours of just head scratching work and he was uninterested in that part of it what really got him going was I had him open up uh, this was on Windows at the time so I was uh, he was using uh, paint.net and I just had him draw the the texture of the planet I think it was uh, Saturn or something uh, I can't remember which planet it was but I had him draw what the texture would look like and then we wrapped it around the sphere and <laughs> he really liked that part of it and when we showed it off in the class you know using my laptop you know his, the entire class eyes lit up and they were like oh that's so cool but it's the slog in the middle, which can sometimes be the most rewarding part. That you know, like when you encounter a problem and you don't know how to solve it, and you know, like the, eventually you tackle that. That's the like the high that I get off of programming, and that's the the type of like sense of accomplishment I want to sort of Im- impart on the on the kids to so that they can understand why I like it and why they might like it. But it also sen- tends to be like the biggest barrier. Like it doesn't look like any fun, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think what you said there about Problem solving is is really important because I think that's really you know at the essence what we do is you know is, is we're problem solvers, you know we take a problem whether it comes from a, from a client or or a coworker or some product specification and, and we solve that problem. So you know I think it's it's you know maybe the most important skill that we can we can teach our kids you know regardless of what they decide to do at some level as they get older they will be they will be solving problems. Maybe it will be with code. Maybe it won't be with code, but you know, that ability to sit down and say, you know, Hey, I don't know how to do this. Let's, let's figure out. Um, it, it's something we, my son and I were doing over the weekend as we were, um, working on, um, creating a world of Warcraft add-on. He's big into wow right now. So we started writing a wow plugin and I'd start off by saying, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. So let's, you know, let's sit down and figure out how to do this. And, you know, his, his first question to me was, can we only do this for half an hour? And I'm like, yeah, that's totally cool. Let's, let's see how far we can get in half an hour. And, and then we'll come back in a couple of days and we'll see how much farther we can get. We actually got quite, quite a ways, but I think it's just sort of exposing them to that. You know, here's, here's how I solve this problem. You know, this is what an event is and here's all the events that we can respond to. And wow. And I showed them this great, big, long list of, there's like a thousand events. And he was already starting to say, oh, so we could do this and we could do that. And we could do this. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, we can, I mean, we can pretty much do anything. It's just a matter of sitting down and figuring out how to do it. So I think that's really important—is—is is the whole problem-solving aspect. And I know they teach a lot of that in school right now. I mean, when they're doing a lot of their projects right now, math and and social studies and sciences, it's already based on problem-based learning, which is, you know, where the teachers give them a problem and the students sort of figure out a way to, you know, how they would solve that. So I think there's a really good synergy there between what we do and you know what they're doing in school.
3: What about you know even younger kids? I know there's lots of Sort of toolkit programming languages that are more visual that allow you to sort of drag control blocks and and things like that. Uh, one of the ones that I remember uh, learning on a long time ago was Logo, where you have like the little turtle and you can tell them to move up four spaces, yeah. turn right. Uh, yeah, that that was pretty. I don't know. I guess uh, pivotal for for my own learning.
1: Did you and do I've that seen... on a typewriter too? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I had to walk uphill. To to school, (laughs) School both both ways ways. in the snow. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that to me was was uh, was I don't know helpful to be able to see to think procedurally and to to see the output. I you know, do you have any experience or recommendations on tools we can use for kids even younger than ten years old?
2: Yeah, certainly. Um, uh, You know, one of my favorite projects is uh, it's a project called Scratch. It's uh, uh, produced by uh, MIT. And, uh, it's, uh, um, a drag and drop programming environment. It, uh, you know, it, it's a really, really, really great toolkit for kids. Uh, it's, a, there's a whole online community around it. Very, very low, um, entry to barrier, but you can create interactive stories. You can create very simple games. You can create, um, animations. And it's all done with a, with a drag and drop interface. And you can drag and drop control structures like for loops and conditionals. You can, uh, integrate, uh, operators into it. And, uh, you know, you, you essentially can take a sprite and animate it across the screen by using just sort of drag and dropping these control blocks around the screen. It's recommended for kids 8 to 16. Um, I think there's about 200,000 projects up on the Scratch website that, um, you know, as a parent, you can actually, you know, you can actually show your, your child the project. And then you can, uh, there's a little button and you click it and it flips the project over and shows you the code that was used to generate it. Very, very interactive. Um, uh, you know you can go from zero to hero in literally a couple of minutes by just dragging and dropping things around. It's something I have planned actually to go and teach at my son's school. Um, I'm working with his teacher right now trying to um, organize me coming in once a week and uh, and and teaching them scratch, so looking forward to having a lot of fun with that. but certainly a really, really neat, neat product.
1: yeah, it looks really cool I'm looking at the website right now. My son is eight. And so I, I keep thinking, you know, is this something that, that he could just pick up and run with? Or
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's lots of great little videos, and the videos um, that show you how to do things are are, are, are very short. And, and and literally, I mean, you can put a sprite a sprite on the screen, a little bit of you know, drag drag a couple of blocks onto the uh, the code editing workspace, and have that sprite jumping within you know within a minute. And at that point, really, your imagination just becomes you know. You, your only limiting factor. Um, so yeah, I would, I would, if eight year old, I would definitely introduce him to it, and uh, you know, see, see what he ends up creating.
1: I'm assuming it runs on Windows, Linux,
2: Mac. Yeah, it's a, um, it, it's Flash. So you know, really any web browser that can run Flash is, um, is going to be able to handle it. And yeah, lots of fun, lots of fun.
3: That's really cool. Do you know of any uh, available
2: for iPad?
3: It might be a little bit easier for for super young kids. I so mean, my, my youngest are are four year olds, and they can navigate an iPad like crazy. But a computer, the the sort of dexterity for mouse and keyboard isn't quite there yet. Uh, yeah,
2: no, I haven't seen anything. I mean, I certainly nothing has caught my eye for kids that young on the iPad. I did come across an app a couple of days ago called Codia, which is similar to Scratch, except what you're actually writing code. And it uses Lua, um, and you can create interactive stories, simple games, uh, interactive animations, that sort of thing. And the entire IDE is is on the iPad. Haven't really dug into it too deeply, but it certainly looks uh looks looks quite interesting. Kids love iPads; they love iPhone. I mean, obviously, if you have kids, you know this. They just really love interacting with that. So I'm hoping it's something I can expose uh, my son to and and see what he can do with it.
3: I just came across one called uh, Hopscotch. Uh, which is free and, uh, looks a lot like scratch, sort of drag control blocks onto a surface and, and then click play and it can draw things or move things around. So that, that looks like something I might take a crack at with my kids and see if they're interested in it.
2: Yeah. I saw, I saw a tweet about hopscotch the other day. I think they're looking for, looking for testers or something, or I'll see if I can dig that up and I'll pass it along for the show notes.
1: Yeah. All of this looks like a lot of fun. One thing that my eight year old is really into is Legos. And so I've been looking yeah. at the Lego Mindstorm stuff. And they also have a competition for elementary school and junior high or middle school aged kids. And so I thought that might be fun to get into, too. Do you know much
2: about that? No, I haven't done any work with Mindstorms. My son loves Legos. Well, he used to love Legos. And at the time, I thought about picking up some Mindstorms. But for whatever reason, I, I didn't. There is a an interesting project that I've only looked at. But it looks very, very cool. It's called LittleBits, and uh, the web address is littlebits.cc. And it's kind of pluggable. It's kind of like a, a DIY building block set where you can build your own circuits. And it has sensors, and you know, will detect light, and and uh, it has servos. And you plug these things in different orders to create different circuits and different different projects. And uh, it's been something that I've. Been considering uh, dabbling into sort of that whole create your own gadget kind of thing, and uh, you know, buy a bunch of blocks and and to start to put them together. There's also another interesting one which is targeted just for girls, and it's called Goldie Blocks, and it's a very similar idea except it's based around um, around a storybook, um, from what I understand, and it was designed by a um, an engineering student from Sanford. And she wanted to try to come up with a way to inspire more women in technology. And she came up with this project for young girls where uh, they follow the narrative in a storybook and they have to build, um, they have to build things to continue throughout the story. And uh, again, I think another really interesting way to uh, um, look at inspiring your kids to solve problems and, and using technology as the uh, sort of the way that they get from point A to point B. I
0: feel like we've, Especially with younger kids, that connection to the real world it maybe helps them helps it be more engaging. Like they're not just moving stuff on a computer screen; they're like m- moving things around in the real world or seeing results in the real world.
2: Yeah, and uh, one of the projects um, I-, I did with my son was uh, was a project with the Philip Hue light bulbs. And the Philips Hue light bulbs are the light bulbs that you can control from your I device. And I created. A UI on the iPad that essentially simulated the day-night cycle in Minecraft, and that day-night cycle in Minecraft would automatically um, adjust the lighting in the room to make the ambient light in the room whatever the ambient light in Minecraft would be. And uh, you know, we sat down and and it was actually his idea when we first saw the uh, the Philips Hue light bulbs. And he thought, "Oh, wouldn't it be cool if we could if we could change the color of the light in the room to whatever it is in Minecraft?" And for me, that was just a challenge. So, yeah, we you know we have to do this. So, we went up and picked up picked up the light bulbs and uh, made a very simple UI in on the iPad. And I, it was neat in a, in a couple of senses. Um, you know, a like you said, we were able to sort of combine the virtual world with the uh, with the physical world. But he had some really neat ideas through the app. So originally, what I had was I had the sun going up and down in just a straight line. So you would see the sun go up, and then the sun would go down, and the moon would go up, and the moon would go down. And he sort of came up with this idea. Wouldn't it be neater if it sort of tracked across the sky, like did like a sunrise and sunset? So we sat down and ended up using a, a quadratic formula to create the arc that the sun and moon would move across and. You know, certainly the algebra was far beyond what his um, understanding of math was, but it was an opportunity to say, you know, here's some math that, you know, that people can use in the real world. And, and, and here's how we take that math and apply it um, across a UI. And, you know, so hopefully when he's in, you know, when he's in a junior high school or high school and he comes across having to learn some sort of odd abstract mathematical formula, you know, hopefully he'll be thinking about you know, how this formula would sort of come to use in the real world. You know, I I can remember when I was in, yeah, I think I was in honors algebra in grade 12 and we were learning some trigonometry thing and a student asked why and our instructor came up with the answer like, Oh, one day you might want to build a house. And um, I think most of us kind of laughed at him because, you know, we're in honors math. We're not, we're probably not going to be ever building houses. So it was really a, a poor example, but, you know, hopefully When you can take those ideas and and apply them to something that you're, that you're passionate about, you'll take a different point of view when, when you're being exposed to some of these concepts later on. So it was a real fun project. And, uh, you know, it was just really sitting down and and being creative and, and solving some problems and it was actually quite cool it got picked up on on hacker news and made it to number 1 on hacker news and then TechCrunch. Yeah,
3: i remember uh taking a look at this video when uh when that happened and yeah. I showed it to my son i was like isn't this cool cuz <laughs> he dabbled in minecraft a little bit and uh he was like yeah that's cool and i'm like do you want to do it and he's like no, no. i'm like okay <laughs> well you know i keep trying to find those moments to like you know maybe build something like this I've also been looking at like a Raspberry Pi. I, d- I don't really know what I would do with it, to be honest, but uh, I, I keep l- seeing these projects out there and I'm like, ah, oh, this would be so cool to build with, uh, with my, my middle son is really into sort of building things. So, uh, just trying to find a good project to, to work on.
0: Yeah. I've been yeah. Doing that with, uh, my, well, my kid is two years old, so he's not really old enough to understand what's going on, but. I've been playing. Oh, baloney! (laughs) So he (laughs) understands, but uh, he has a different interpretation of reality than grownups. He loves it when I play with my. He calls them my flashing lights, (laughs) which is which is me messing around with with Arduino's and Raspberry Pis. And as soon as he sees me sit down at the table, he's like, "Are you going to make some flashing lights?" (laughs) Yep.
2: (laughs) I remember really my first exposure to to computing, and it, it was it was through my dad and. Uh, you know, my dad was always, uh, kind of a, a hacker. Uh, you know, if our toaster broke, he'd fix a toaster. If we needed a, a new TV, he'd, you know, he'd go to some insurance sale and find a TV that had been burned in a fire and, and, and he'd fix it. But one day he, he was a maintenance engineer at a, a lumber mill. And one day he went to a course and, and he brought back this programmable logic controller, which was, this would have been about 1979, I guess. And, you know, it was, uh, it was essentially a breadboard. And, um, what you could do is you could drop in some AND gates, some OR gates, some NOT gates. And this one had, um, an LED display that you could plug into the breadboard. And he showed me how we could, how we could make a counter. So how we could make this light go from zero, one, two, three, all the way back up to zero again, just by using these AND gates and a little switch. And, you know, I was, I was just hooked. I just thought that was the, the coolest thing in the world. And it had, it, I think what was cool about it was it had a flashing light. There was some real world output that was just extraordinary to me. And, you know, from that point onwards, I was, I was hooked. And, uh, and, you know, any chance I got to do anything, you know, related to programming, I was there. So, you know, I think just exposing them to these things, you know, is really important. I mean, if they, if they catch, they catch. If they don't, they don't. You know, maybe it will be soccer or swimming or, you know, or, or some who knows, right? The kids are—they're—they're they're just very—they're all different. That's very profound. I know.
0: <laughs> they're all unique snowflakes.
2: Yes, yes, that's that's better. Well, what's that line from uh, Incredibles?
1: Everybody's unique. That's the same as saying no one is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really surprised at how unimaginative I am.
0: I—I I think this—the this, same thing as you, Ben. Where like, I know that my kid really loves it. Like when I do this stuff with flashing lights, but I can't actually figure out something called like, I want to make him like a, a toy, but I actually have a really hard time thinking of something that he would find like engaging. And it's kind of funny because the stuff that I do that I don't think he'd be interested in. He finds like incredibly fascinating, but so that's, that's my challenge is trying to figure out something that I can build him that, that he's going to be super excited by.
2: Yeah. And I think that's the cool thing about having kids is because, you know, the kids are full of boundless imagination. They don't know limits. You know, they'll say things like, you know, Hey dad, could you do this? Or Hey dad, can we do that? And it's, I think at that point, it's for you to say, aha, I got him. How do I do that? And I think, you know, as programmers, that's what we do. You know, we, like I was saying earlier, we solve problems. So your kid is going to come to you with something and say, Hey, do you think we can do this? Or do you think we can do that? Or, or how about if it did this? And that's where you sort of grab in and say, yeah, we can do that. And, and, you know, hopefully that will, well, I shouldn't say, hopefully maybe that will grab their attention. That will engage them. That will inspire them. And they'll want to do more, to learn more, to, um, you know, to go out on their own.
1: One thing that that kind of came to me while you were talking was that you mentioned the things like, you know, the sun tracking across the sky and things, which was all mathematics that were a little bit beyond your son. And, you know, I kept trying to rack my brain for projects that my son could complete front to back. And it occurs to me that that doesn't necessarily have to be the case, that, you know, we can sit down and. You know, I can just plug in the magic, so to speak, for the pieces that he doesn't understand. And then he can figure out the other pieces that he does understand and still develop an interest in this stuff.
2: Yeah, you know, one of my other things that I do with my son is I I coach a soccer team. And, uh, you know, one of the conversations I have with the other parents of the team every year is that don't expect your child to play an adult's game. You know, when we are playing soccer at, um, you know, at, at six years old, we play modified soccer. You know, we don't care if the kids throw the ball incorrectly. We we don't call offside. Um, there's only three kids on the field at the same time. You know, we don't put them on a great big field that's, you know, a hundred yards by whatever and put 11 players on each team and expect them to play um, an adult's game. And, and and I think it's the same with really anything that you expose your, your kids to, you know, their kids, like you were saying, they're not going to get all the mathematical concepts. And that's sort of where you've got to step in and 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 help out, so it's it's sort of guiding them and and giving them things to do that are within their. I don't even really want to say so much ability. It's you're sort of what's in their desires and 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 help guide them to get there. So, like I said, when we were doing the Minecraft mod, you know, he would probably have been about eight then. So certainly he's not going to become a Java programmer, but he was certainly more than capable of creating that root authority and block. And, uh, you know, that was the part that he was able to say, you know, when he had his friends or he say, I, you know, that's, I made that block. I put the, you know, I put the little purple dots on because purple is my favorite color. So, you know, I think it's really sort of keeping perspective and, you know, when they want to learn more and they ask to learn more, then, then you show them and, uh, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll take that somewhere.
1: I'm I'm really curious to see where I can uh, go with this with my kids. And, uh, even if they wind up doing something else, you know, when they're older, that's fine, but. One thing I want to get into a little bit is specifically iOS programming for kids or younger people. Um, at what age do you think they really kind of grasp what you're doing with iOS?
2: You know, that's uh you know, I haven't exposed my son much to iOS development at all other than sort of him watching what I do. And maybe part of that's because I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm still learning a lot. I've been doing iOS development for about a year and a half now. I mean, I've done tons of, of flash and. Flex and Silverlight and WPF and, you know, C sharp, but Objective C was a language I had a little bit of a, a little bit of a tough time. She wouldn't say tough time learning, but it was just conceptually a lot different than anything I had done before. And I think there's just, there's, there's a lot of moving pieces for young kids. Um, it's one of the things that really sort of draws me towards Lua and, you know, taking a look at projects like Corona, um, at coronalabs.com where, you know, you can create, um, apps um cross platform apps using the lua programming language and what's really nice about that is is you can actually create apps where you know all the code is really in one file you know you're not you're not dealing with lots of classes and you know huge huge deep frameworks you know typing and you know header files interfaces i just find there's a lot of overhead with uh, objective c that might make it Cognitively hard, conceptually for young people, you know that's not to say there's not you know a, a twelve, thirteen, fourteen year old who is doing some really amazing things with Objective C. But for me, with sort of the way I think about Objective C and where I think my son is, I just don't think it's very accessible. And you know, again, I'm not I'm not professing to be to be right about this, but that's just sort of my gut feeling. I I know we uh we try to do a well we did a, a cookie clicker clone. It was sort of the cookie clicker. Fad was was big a few months ago and all my son's kids were playing this it's this stupid little web game where you just you tap on a cookie and you get points and you challenge your friends and whoever gets i don't know so we we created a, a very simple clone and and my son asked a lot of a lot of questions and but i could see him really losing interest just in the overall complexity of it so i don't think i'm at the point of actually teaching him that but again we were doing some Lua with the wow programming on the weekend and he was, you know, he was, he was all over that. It seemed to, again, not a lot of cognitive overload to, to getting something going fairly quickly. And and I think when dealing with kids, I think you need that. I think you need that quick win solution. Otherwise you're going to lose them fairly quick. Yeah.
3: This kind of reminds me of that sort of age old question. Like, should you have a computer science background to be a professional programmer, right? Like there's all this underlying stuff, which is important to know, but not critical. You know, for a professional programmer, you know, should you learn C before doing, you know, C sharp or or Java or something like that? And I I generally lean on, yes, that's valuable to learn, but not required. And in the case of kids, they're never going to be interested enough to learn like what a pointer is and like why you have to nil terminate a string. I mean, that stuff is just (laughs) you might as well turn off all interest in programming. Uh, immediately, So I think it's, you know, have, starting at a high level where they get those quick wins is is good and they can sort of ignore all the nitty-gritty details underneath uh, is probably really important. And because Objective-C, you know, you squint and there's a lot of C in there.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, uh, what I would hope my kid would get out of some of the sessions we do are, are sort of, like you say, the higher-level concepts. So, you know, what's an operator? What's a variable? What's a conditional? What's an expression? You know, those are the things that I think if you have a, a really good high-level understanding of, if you want to dig into some of the lower-level languages or or something a little bit more complex, hopefully by then, I mean, I think if they get to the point where they want to dig into some of the lower-level concepts, they're going to be motivated to accomplish something, to do something. And it's at that point that um, I would certainly choose to, to dig in deeper and say, all right, well, here's what a header file is and here why it's important and, and you know this is an interface and you know we have a public interface a private interface and uh you know in objective c we have to worry about you know we have to worry about the types of data going into our variables so you know here here uh, here here here's the way the type system works but yeah that's again there's there's a fair amount of cognitive overhead in there which i think is why i mean yeah, I, i'm really got to sell enjoying... them on the benefit right
3: so that yeah they, yeah yeah that they're, they're they're like okay i i want to write a game and i know that that's going to require some programming and so I'm willing to invest some time to, uh, you know, maybe be uncomfortable and not really know what I'm doing and ask questions and get through that so that I can get to the end result. And I think, you know, that's probably uh, the best thing that we could teach our kids is you can do this and I'll provide you with whatever resources you want, you know, to, to make that happen.
0: Yeah, I think just kind of goes back to that. Um, that soccer analogy if you kind of want to make it fun and get them hooked and then once they're tricked into thinking it's easy then you do the bait and switch and start teaching them about reference counting and all that
1: stuff. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that strikes me though too is like my seven-year-old is really into art and so I keep thinking that maybe I could take some of her artwork
2: and put it into a game or something. Yeah that was actually the very first project my son and i did i I think he was four and we were at a restaurant and he asked if i could make a video game i said absolutely i can make a video game and i said but you've got to draw all the artwork so he flipped over his restaurant menu and he grabbed the orange crayon and he uh he drew a tank and some helicopters and and we made a little game out of it and and it was tons of fun um for me you know he was just you know every time we'd have a friend over they'd play this little game which i don't even think it really work properly i don't i think you can i don't think you could actually kill the last helicopter but i mean he played that for hours and it was all his artwork and actually there was a game i came across yesterday called flippy unicorn and that uh, stole my pick <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm sorry but you know again a very similar idea a very cool idea and i'll let ben talk about it in the picks. dun 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 <laughs> <laughs> foreshadowing yeah I,
1: I just i really like the idea and I mean, she's she's drawing mostly stick figures at this point, but still.
2: Hey, any way you can engage them to do yep. something, right? Again, whether it's programming or being a graphic designer or being a soccer player or a dancer or a scientist. I mean, you know, if you take your kids skiing, maybe they'll become a professional ski instructor. Who knows, right? But it's just that whole, you know, the whole thing I think about parenting is, you know, taking whatever they're interested in that day and seeing if you can help expose them to it. And if, you know, if it's a firefighter and the next week it's a doctor or a veterinarian, I mean, I think as a parent, there's lots of things you can do to expose them to that. And, and, uh, um, you know, maybe something will stick. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll be a fad. Who knows? Right. Just really, you know, try to find those things that engage them and, and support them in that.
1: Yeah. uh, The other question I have is, are there any conferences out there that are kid friendly? Um, the one I keep hearing about is robots conf that would be friendly, but I'm wondering if there are other more programming and less hardware-focused ones.
2: There is one conference coming up this summer, I believe, and it's called iKidsConf. It's being organized by Saul Mora a Magical Panda. He does the uh, the Core Data Magical Record Project, and Jamie Newberry, formerly of, I guess, Black Pixel, and she's now helped me. Her podcast is Unprofesh, And they're putting a conference together called iKidsConf, and it's being planned to be held in Disneyland, which is a great event or a great venue. And I believe it's coming up this summer. And uh, they have a Twitter account, is at iKidsComp. And I think they have a link to the registration page. That's really the only other one I've heard of in terms of sort of kids related conferences.
0: I know that um, CodeMesh has like a, a kids kind of parallel conference. So if you're going, if you go with your family, and that's like in a, um, not an amusement park, what's the word? Like a water park. Um so if you're if you you a lot of folks when I was there a lot of folks kind of brought their families and their families were either off playing around in the water park or were doing this kind of little parallel kids conference at the same time as the as the programming one. Which was really nice actually it was really nice to see people walking around a conference with their kids rather than walking around not with their kids.
2: <laughs> mm mm-hmm. Another site that's quite Interest if you're interested if you're you know if you'd like to sort of do more sort of diy type projects with your kids is um there's a site called diy.org and they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of projects that are suitable for boys and girls of, of all ages you know and they range from building things in minecraft to doing things with makeup creating um survival kits and jewelry and recipes for 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 baking but they're all very accessible projects. And I think when you complete them, you actually get badges virtual badges um they have a little i iPhone app that you can keep track of your badges and all the things things that you do. But certainly, if you're interested in doing projects with your kids and you know doing things that are sort of DIY based and technology based it's uh it's it's a great website, lots of resources for parents and lots of projects for kids lots lots of fun there to be had.
1: yeah, I love all this stuff. I'm gonna be using the show notes to pull a bunch of stuff together. My my kids school have an after after school program that parents can pull together and it's it's so it sounds a lot like what you're looking at doing at your kids' school and so all of these things really are exciting to me and the idea of I kids Cough, that sounds like fun too.
2: You know, hanging out um at Disneyland for a few days, it's always fun. <laughs> and if you can get some uh, kids learning in there. And the interesting thing about the sessions at iKidsConf is the kids will attend a 45-minute session and then there will be a 15-minute session for the parents afterwards so the parents can uh, uh, get an idea for what the kids were learning and given some ideas as to sort of how they can support them and, and engage them when they get back home. Another project that I've seen in, and I, I think it's quite big in the UK, um, and it's called Code Club and it's sort of a really follows the open source software, you know, sort of community idea where, you know, a bunch of volunteers come together and 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 teach kids to to code for free. And I'd like to hear if there's more pro, if there's more organizations like that in North America and sort of how the community could pull together to offer some of these digital literacy programs, you know, for kids without sort of a high barrier to entry, like, you know, having to go to a conference in Disneyland and spending thousands of dollars, you know, really code should be, and and learning how to program should be um, accessible and free. And uh, it'd be nice to see more organizations like Code Club, or I know there's another organization, I think it's called Code Kata, essentially a place where you show up and and learn how to learn learn digital literacy. Um, So it'd be really great to see more programs like that pop up.
1: That's awesome. It looks like Code Club is they have a Code Club World, which is the worldwide organization for the UK. And it looks like they do have some in the US. I don't know if any of these are in
2: Canada. Yeah, it's been a while since I since I checked that this site out.
1: No, it looks like they're uh you know, the furthest north or the closest to you would be in Seattle.
2: Yeah, their their manifesto is is very cool. And uh yeah, it's definitely interesting taking taking a read in thinking about maybe how you could do something like that in in your own community.
1: Really, really interesting. All right. No, this is all really interesting stuff. Well, then we'll go ahead and do the picks. Pete, you want to start us off? Sure. So my
0: first pick was inspired by us talking about keyboarding at the beginning of the show, and it reminded me of many joyful afternoons spent with Mavis Beacon t- typing, and then I found a few years after that there was a game called Typing of the Dead, which was... It's basically it's so the awesome. same as Yeah it's the same as Mavis Beacon Except it's it's like It's the arcade game Like whatever that arcade game was Where you have to shoot the zombies Except you have to type the words Before the zombies get to you I tried to find it online And I kind of failed But I found an almost exactly similar game Called Typing of the Living Dead uh, So that's my first pick Good way to engage your kids In learning to touch type I guess Although I'm not sure if you Want to have your kids Like shooting zombies over and over again <laughs> My next pick is uh, kind of random. It's an organisation called Black Girls Code. So these guys are—they're uh, kind of their their mission, their vision is to kind of help young women of colour um, get into computer science and and STEM and all that kind of stuff. I think they either use Alice or Scratch. I can't remember what. Um, but they they started off here in the Bay Area and they've they've kind of been super duper successful and popular and they're all over the US now. I think so. They're just a cool organization, and um, if, if they're in your area and you want to support them by being a mentor or being um, offering up space, then uh, then you should do that. And then my last pick is a beer. I feel slightly weird picking a high-alcohol beer, given we've just been talking about kids, but <laughs> don't do it anyway. <laughs> uh, this week, I am going to pick Dog Patch Sour from Almanac Beer Company, which is based in the Dog Patch area of San Francisco. Um, I just found out about this brewery the other day. They're really they're really cool. Um, very kind of hipster artisanal local. Like they brew seasonally and they take like local fruit from the neighborhood and all that kind of stuff. But um I, their beer is also really, really, really good. As good as Russian River sour beers, which if you know anything about sour beers in America, um, you would know that Russian River are really good. These guys were Very, very, very good. So that's my my last pick is Dogpatch Sour from Almanac. Awesome.
1: Ben, what are your picks?
3: Let's see. So uh, my first pick was alluded to earlier. It's the uh, Flippy Unicorn Project uh, by Walter Tyree. And uh, basically his daughter drew all of the unicorns and the background in the app. And so he wrote this app with her, and it's 99 cents, and he's giving her all the profits. So I went ahead and bought that. The game is silly, but, you know, maybe my kids will like it. But I just well, I want to support that type of thing. I think it's really awesome and will probably be a, a memorable experience for his daughter. So my next pick is uh, another uh, sort of uh, father-son project. Uh, this one was this uh, the guy created a weather balloon and attached a iPhone to it uh, to record and had GPS. And so he and his son launched a weather balloon and it actually went all the way up to the edge of space. And then popped and then they went and uh, they had a parachute and uh, they went and uh, found where it landed and was able to grab the video uh, for that. So, uh, I again, just one of these moments that this kid is going to remember forever. So, I will link to those in the show notes. And then an anti-pick. I had pneumonia last two weeks and it was terrible. <laughs> so, uh, I actually was in San Francisco and I met up with Pete and just tried to have a good lunch. It was not really happening. But at least I got to go say hi to Pete. So uh, anyway, don't get pneumonia. Stay stay healthy and uh, teach your kids to program.
1: Very cool. So I've got a couple of picks. We've talked about teaching kids to program on the Ruby Rogues podcast. And we've also talked about, we talked about robots last week. I think it was last week or the week before on the JavaScript Jabber podcast. We talked a lot about kids on that too. So I'm going to recommend both of those episodes. Other than that, I don't really have anything that I want to pick, so I'll I'll uh, hand the, the microphone over to uh, Jim. Jim, what are your picks? All
2: right. Well, uh, my first pick is a book, uh, and the book's title is Everything Bad is Good for You. And it's a very, very cool book. I read it about uh, eight years ago, and I think it's still very, very relevant. But it really will make you think twice about sort of that question when you have kids, which is how much screen time is too much screen time. And, uh, this book studies the, um, evolution of, um, media over the past, I guess, about 40 or 50 years and takes a look at how, and he, what he tries to do is correlate the increase in complexity of narrative in television, books, and movies and video games to an overall increase in, uh, in IQ over the same period of time. And it's a, it's a really, really interesting read. Highly recommend it. My second pick is an app and I sort talked about it a little bit earlier. Um the app is called Codia and it's an app for the iPad that lets you make games, simulations, animations, all using the Lua programming language. It looks very very neat and uh if your kids have an iPad, uh this looks like a very accessible way for them to uh to create some really interesting projects. My final pick is a beer and if you ever happen to be up in the uh in the British Columbia, Canada regions of Vancouver or Victoria, Um, There's a fantastic brewery called Riftwood Brewery, and they have an IPA called Fat Tug, and uh, it's really, really hoppy. It's really tasty, and uh, one of my favorite beers whenever I can get into a pub that uh, that has it on tap. Fantastic. Very
1: cool. All right. Well, um, I just want to thank you for coming again. It's been a terrific discussion, and I've got a ton of ideas for things I do with my kids. Awesome. I also want to remind everybody that we are still doing the book club for the Functional Reactive Programming. We had a little glitch, technical difficulties last time, so we are still going to read the book, and we are going to talk to Ash. It's just uh, it didn't happen last week, and we're still working that out. So besides that, thanks for coming. We'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more.